welcome back to our first Nerd Alert podcast of 2022. I hope you all had a nice relaxing holiday and enjoyed some time off. Maybe even got some new goodies to kick off the new year. Or then again, maybe you didn't because as we're sure you noticed, it was next to impossible to find a whole bunch of stuff in 2021, be it complete bikes, wheels, accessories, uh, even mundane stuff like chains, brake pads, tires, and other common items. That, of course, is no surprise to many of us, but how much thought have you given to exactly why stuff was so hard to come by in 2021? Was it purely due to these supply chain issues we keep hearing about? Or if it's because of all the new cyclists that discovered the sport because the pandemic forced them to recreate outside? Why couldn't companies just make more stuff to keep up with the demand if there was that much more demand? And how much longer is this going to last? To help provide some clarity on this, Dave and I chatted with none other than the CEO of SRAM, Ken Lausberg, who provided some rather eye-opening testimonial on how we got to this place and where things go from here. Ken, thanks so much for being on the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert podcast with us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I want to start by getting a sense of kind of what things were like in the before times, as, as we like to describe them. Um, how did the whole supply chain thing work normally? And what sort of lead times would we typically be looking at maybe from both like an OEM and aftermarket perspective? Before the pandemic, you know, things I think basically operated the same for, you know, 30 years, which, which essentially was an OE um, factory or brand would give, give us, a, say, a yearly forecast. And then we, we prided ourselves in having very short lead times to them in the 30 to 60 day range. So they would give us a year forecast. And we would have 30 to 60 day lead times and they would order whatever they needed, you know, at that time fence, that 30 to 60 days, and we would deliver it. Um, it was pretty basic and straightforward. So then the pandemic hits around winter, was it 2019, 2020? And what was SRAM's initial reaction internally in terms of what it thought was going to happen to its business? That's uh, a good, good one. The, you know, we, we met quite a bit on it. You know, we have a really large, well, a few operations in Taiwan. And Taiwan, you know, has a lot deeper experience, you know, from dealing with SARS and things like that. And, and so our team in Taiwan, you know, kind of raised the flag, you know, a little bit earlier for us. So we were, we were going through the what if scenarios, as, you know, if this truly turns into a global pandemic, what do we think will happen? And I mean, I'll be very honest with our our assessment, which was, you know, our we we thought that the the demand for bicycles, the demand for bicycle components would probably go down, you know, 20 to 40, maybe even 50 percent for a two to four month period. And then they would, you know, that pandemic would get taken care of and things would go back to back to normal, you know, say six months from when we went into it. So then at what point did you all realize that the exact opposite was happening? Like when was the sort of oh shit moment? Well, it, it, it wasn't an oh shit moment. It was a hell yeah moment. You know, we, <laughs> felt, we felt really fortunate, you know, and it, it was conflicting, right? Because so many people were going through so many bad things and, and we were, you know, we were fortunate. Um, 
but it it became you know we we view it we went into the pandemic mode in March of 2020. Um, customers were canceling orders, you know, into April, and then I would say that towards the end of April we started seeing strong orders or you know the uncanceling of orders, and then we really started to see you know, demand pick up through, say, the June time period. And it it really hasn't stopped since then. So has it continued to grow that whole period or has has it sort of has it kind of plateaued a little bit in any sense? You know, to, to be really honest with you, it's, it's hard to tell, really, because none of it, you know, we haven't been able to meet the, the complete demand. And I don't think any of our competitors have been able to as well. And so, it's still hard to tell, you know, have we have we ramped up enough, you know, to, you know, to be able to fulfill the demand? Um, clearly, you know, we know that there's not enough inventory in the channel at this point. So we continue to ramp up and we continue to add capacity. Um, but I, I think it's getting closer to supply and demand are probably coming coming together. Um, now, you know, more than they certainly have for the last 18 months. Um, but I, you know, we're not out of the woods yet either. And I mean, we wouldn't be continuing to add capacity like we are if we thought that, you know, supply and demand were in balance. So how, how bad did things get? I mean, it sounds like things are, are on the upswing now in terms of, uh, like you said, a little bit more balanced in terms of what people are asking for versus what you're able to supply. Um, but earlier you said in sort of the before times you'd be operating on like a 30, 60 day lead time, which is pretty normal. Um, how bad did things get? Like what, what was what was the worst point? Um, well, you know, it, it, I think it depends on <clears throat> on how you look at it. I, I don't really think it's bad. It's just really strong demand um, and much higher demand than than really any of us would have anticipated. The the truthful answer is again we, we don't really know because the the way we used to think about lead times you know you, you said that 30 to 60 day lead times are are you know kind of normal i think that's really good um having a 30 day lead time on on you know so many components is is really hard work and and i think that's that's pretty good but you know as far as how we think about lead time today, it, it's really different because historically, OEs or AM distributors would, would order 30 days out and expect us to deliver it in 31 days on the 31st day. Um, now, you know, you have those orders that, you know, the factories or the distributors would like, you know, immediately, but you also have a significant amount of orders where customers have ordered a year out, a year and a half out, even two years out, but they want them a year from now. They don't want those components right now. You know, they're just trying to reserve their spot, you know, for future, you know, because le the lead time model is broken right now or, or just doesn't apply. Um, so it's really, it's actually quite hard to tell, you know, if we could, if we could magically just ship everything everybody wants right now, I honestly don't know exactly what that number is, um, but but uh, you know it's 
it's just continued strong demand from our you know vantage point so what do you tell people then if if people are if you have customers whether it be aftermarket or oem or whatever um who have historically been operating on this 30 to 60 day lead time and now they are one forecasting and placing orders for so far out that it's basically unprecedented in a lot of ways um but are are you able to I mean, are you able to guarantee those sorts of delivery dates? Like, like how does how does it work right now? If you're if things are if, if things are so up in the air, like like it just seems like there's a lot of uncertainty, right? Eh, kind of. I mean, it's the the way you know the way our our industry is today. A lot of industries have operated that way forever. You know, I I think I think our industry. Having you know the the short lead times that we've had historically is is fairly unusual, and so it's really just an adjustment in how you plan and and how you think about what the future demand will or might be. Um, but for sure, there's uncertainty. You know, my my personal opinion, you know, forecast is a really fancy word for guess or educated guess, um, and so you know it. It, it does. It does mean you know we have to bring different ways of looking at how do we forecast and and what do we think will happen you know in a time period much farther out. And so the farther out you're doing that, the more uncertainty there is. Um, right now, we're just betting you know that that a lot of the new riders um, who have joined or the people who dusted off their old bike and are now enjoying cycling again you know, that they'll continue to. And so that overall, this is just really good for the bike industry. And so we're investing accordingly. Um, but it's it's very different, you know, than it was. And it will be until supply and demand come back in line with each other. Um, are, are you at liberty to talk about how much the demand has increased from when, from before uh, the pandemic started? You know, I don't know that I, I wouldn't be at liberty, but I wouldn't pretend to be able to give you an, a precise number either, um, simply because none of us have ever met that, that unconstrained demand yet. And so, you know, frankly, none of us know how many people would have bought a bike if there would have been one available, but instead decided to buy a fishing pole and kind of gave up on cycling. Um, so I, I definitely think we miss some, you know, we just don't know how much and we don't know how patient people are. And so if if a bike is available today at, at your local bike shop, somebody's buying it because there still aren't any on the on the floor, um, even though, you know, we and others were shipping, you know, significantly more bikes to the market, significantly more components to the market. They're just not, the channel hasn't filled up yet though. So you don't see them on the shop floor. They're just in the back door, you know, in the back door, out the front door, okay. even the same day. Okay. Well, so then essentially what you're saying is that um, you're, you're effectively limited by just sort of how much water you're able to, to pump through the hose at this point. You have no idea how many people are actually trying to get a drink. Um, but in in that sense, are you able to talk about how much more you've had to increase capacity, even just to try and meet the demand? Well, I mean, James, the 
the the really important thing would be, you know, we we have added a ton of capacity, um, and you know, some of our competitors are public, so you can you can look at their financials and see how much they've added as well. Um, but for us, the the, the, the issue really has been we're adding capacity as quickly as we can. You know, we've, we've, we're essentially running, you know, continuous shifts at all of our factories. Um, we've added, you know, millions and millions of, of dollars of capital equipment. We're expanding facilities. Um, we, you know, we followed the, you know, a continuous improvement philosophy and so we've really improved our our you know the productivity in our factories at unprecedented levels all while you know really focusing on quality because you you know you can't you can't ramp up faster than your quality systems and so just all of those things are are going on you know essentially at the same time but it's you know and and we're continuing to do that were you using uh, continuous shifts before the pandemic no no, we we had typically, you know, in in some of our our more complex or like really expensive production lines, you know, we would typically be operating on a two shift operation um, historically, uh, but now it's basically continuous. I, I guess what I'm really trying to get a sense of is, um, I think it's probably safe to say that. Just about anyone listening to this podcast right now has experienced in some firsthand way, uh, I guess, difficulty in getting some sort of bike-related thing that they want, whether it's a new bike or some component or you know some upgrade or replacement or whatever. Um, so I, you're saying that you basically have been increasing production capability as much as 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 it's impossible. Um, but do you, I guess what I'm wondering is given how much people are having issues with getting stuff, I think a lot of people are, they, they have the question of sort of, is it really that crazy in terms of how many more people are buying bikes right now? I mean, do you have any sense as to how, how much biz, how much bigger the market has gotten? And like I said, I mean, it, you mentioned that you don't really know how many people maybe just didn't want to wait or, um, you know, there, there's that, there's that question of, of how many people just haven't been able to be served at all. Um, but in terms of what you've been able to produce, do you have any sense as to how much more your overall production has increased your overall capacity? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 we clearly know exactly how much our, our capacity has increased. Um, I don't really want to give a specific number, but, you know, in in many cases, we've more than doubled. You know, our our capacity in in you know the the past year um, with investments coming online literally every week still, and will continue to. Um, some of the other you know some of our other lines, we haven't been as fortunate um, to to be able to increase capacity that much. And so, but I would say the lowest would be in the 50% range, you know, of 50% more. Um, that we're, we're, frankly, where we really struggle, you know, our internal decisions, we're, we're a pretty nimble, you know, entrepreneurial 
company. Um, and so we make decisions very, very fast on adding capacity. Where, where, we're, where we've struggled the most is on things that we've never done before. So an, an example would be, you know, never in my life would I think that aluminum would be a shortage, you know, that we would have to worry about getting aluminum um, or getting magnesium or getting, you know, 25 cent IC chips. You know, the, the, the whole world is just, it's, it's a different world today. And so we're, you know, we're really testing new muscle. I, I'm really proud of our team, what they've been able to do and in this environment, but it's, it's new muscles for sure. Okay. So it sounds like at least based on, based on what you've described, I mean, I guess to, to explain to people why things really are pretty hard to get, at least from what you're saying, you're seeing demand increases of anywhere between 50 and a hundred plus percent. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we're, 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 we're seeing that and we're still not meeting the demand. We know that. And so like if, if I had to guess, you know, one, we know millions of people started riding a bike during the pandemic that weren't riding a bike before or hadn't ridden that bike in a long time. Um, millions globally. Um, I was just in Ecuador and was doing some, some cycling and the, the guide I was with, I asked him like, cause there were cyclists everywhere. <laughs> you know, I was just shocked. And he, he said that, you know, there were at least 10 times more people riding bikes than before the pandemic. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think that's out of line. You know, I, I would say anywhere from three times to 10 times more, more cyclists, you know, are, are out there. Dear God, that's a lot of people. (laughs) Um, But it's awesome, right? It it is. It is. I mean, it's so good for all of us. I mean, this is what this is what we've all wanted within the bicycle industry for years and years and years, and now it's actually happening. I guess it's maybe just happening uh, a little bit more suddenly than we had all anticipated could be the case. Um, So, coming back to that subject of of people not being able to get stuff, um, I understanding that SRAM has increased production capacity as as basically as fast as you've been able to, um, what exactly does that entail? Because, you know, you hear complaints online from people. They're kind of like, oh, you know, why can't so-and-so just make more stuff? You know, it, it's the, the perception is that you sort of just like, you know, walk up to the control board and like turn the dial up a little bit and more things come out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that that's obviously not what happened. So can you maybe explain in a little bit of detail what exactly is involved in making more stuff? That's a good one. Um, the, you know, the, the, the one, there, there isn't a dial on each of our factories front doors that we can, <laughs> we can turn. But uh, I, w- I wish there was. That would be pretty cool. It would be fun to play with. Um, but, you know, using that, using that model, if you will, we can, you know, going into this, we turned it and we went up 30% just almost instantly, right? Like we, we purposely have that type of, of flexibility, um, you know, because you can imagine, you know, like when we introduce a rival group set, rival access, you know, we need to be able to, to meet a pretty big surge, if you will, in the beginning. And so we purposely have that flexibility. 
And frankly, that's how we've always been able to maintain 30 to 60 day lead times is having extra capacity. Um, but, but when you start going beyond that, you know, it, it literally involves everything. You know, suddenly your factory is no longer big enough. Suddenly the number of, you know, million dollar presses that you have aren't enough. And all of those, you know, to, to build a factory for us depends on the country, but it takes, call it 18 months, you know, to get a, to get a new, you know, a significant new chain line or, you know, all the stamping presses, um, that type of stuff is minimum 18 months. Um, and so that, that's really why, you know, some of these things don't just go up. They go up a little bit instantly. That 30% is pretty easy. After that, it becomes, you know, there's just lead times involved that are, that are very, very, you know, difficult to, to speed up. Right, because there's, I guess, not even just having space on the factory floor. You may have to build a physical factory. You have to get machines. You have to figure out your supply chain logistics. You've got to figure out your raw materials and, and just shipping all this stuff. And you know, staffing, I would imagine, is a huge issue. Yep. No, you're. You, <laughs> I I know you've been to a lot of factories, so you 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 know this stuff. But the you're you're exactly right. Um, I mean, when I think about some of the things, like, I and mean, we've added hundreds of team members. Um, we've, we've, you know, added, you know, just line after line after line. Um, some things we're able to, you know, to, to get done relatively quickly. And some, like I said, take 18 months. Um, but again, I, I think it's, you know, th this is this is why we're here. You know, I would never complain about, oh, no, we have to add another line. Um, you know, that's our job. And I I'm proud of, of how we do it. I wish we could do it faster, but we're doing it certainly as fast as we can. Am I right to assume that, say, normally it would take you 18 months to, to set up, say, new capacity or a new factory with say new machinery? You spoke about uh, the, the presses before. Would that lead time have blown out in itself due to the pandemic? Because surely the demand on those presses from other industries has increased as well, just in a similar way. Did those lead times blow out as well? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. I mean, everything has. That, you know, for, for sure, I've, I've, I've definitely often said it, it's better to be lucky than good. And it's really good when you can create your own luck. Um, but we, we were pretty lucky in a few things. You know, we, we knew we were adding GX access before the pandemic. We knew we were adding rival access before the pandemic. So we had made all of those investments before the pandemic. And a lot of them came online, you know, six months into the pandemic. And so, you know, that, that wasn't incredible pandemic planning on our part. You know, that was us doing our jobs and the timing was good. It, it could have been better. It could have been six months earlier, but, you know, I'm really thankful we didn't have to wait another year, you know, for those lines to come on. Um, you mentioned earlier that you never would have envisioned having difficulty sourcing things like aluminum and magnesium, that sort of thing. Um, has there been anything in particular that has been, I guess, especially unforeseen or challenging in terms of being able to ramp up production? Um, because obviously there's a certain, there's a lot of things 
that you can control, but there's an awful lot that you have absolutely no control over whatsoever, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, we we definitely never say never. Um, for sure, you know, when when we have a significant aluminum shortage, then we we start looking for you know uncovering another way to to be able to get it. Um, so our normal avenue gets shut off. So then you know it's just like anything else. You start looking at what are what are our alternatives. But if you like, I mean, in the pandemic you know, really unusual things that, that we faced were, like I said, just raw material being a shortage. That, that is something that is really hard to, to work through. Um, staffing shortages, you know, the, that, that was really tough. Um, early in the pandemic, you know, safety was our number one priority. You know, we were not, like, we were very committed to making sure that our team members were safer at work than they would be if they weren't at work. And so that took all kinds of, of you know, procedures to make sure that, that team members around the world could come to our factories and we knew they were safe um, in, a, in a global pandemic. Um, and so, you know, there, there were several things that were incredibly unusual. And then, you know, just the normal things that you have, you know, that you have to deal with in manufacturing, they just, you know, they were just, those problems were on steroids, but they were familiar problems. Um, so it, it, it was, it's really a, you know, across the board. Um, has all of this affected R&D timelines at all? Because one thing I wonder is with people placing orders so far out, and with there being so much uncertainty as far as when something might actually be supplied or delivered, I should say, um, how does that affect things like you know, if, if you want to come out with something new, if, if, if people are drinking from the fire hose as fast as you're able to pump water, does that lessen the, uh, I guess, lessen the, the, the motivation to continue to bring out new stuff if people are just absolutely dying to get anything that they can get right now? Yeah, I, James, that's a really, that's a really good question. You know, one, we, at, at SRAM, we are, man, do we love innovation, right? Um, the, the, there, there's no question that the, there, there is no lack of desire to continue to innovate. Um, and our engineers continue to innovate. What we've, what we've done during the pandemic, though, is we, we've committed to our customers that, you know, delivery. And so if a new product introduction would slow down delivery, um, we wouldn't introduce it um, because that would hurt our customers. And so, you know, really the only, the only new products that we've introduced during the pandemic are net new products that have brought you know, significant capacity with their introduction, like rival access, you know, products like that. Like flight, flight attendant, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we our, our, you know, our engineers are absolutely as busy, you know, <laughs> during the pandemic as before the pandemic. Um, they just have more time to, you know, to, to work on things. Hmm, okay. Um, I mean, I, I think at this point it's a, I would like to think it's fairly straightforward in the sense that, um, again, people 
are have been wondering a lot why it's been so hard to get things and um I'm I'm glad we were able to put you know some sort of numbers as to how much more the demand has increased because that that is something that I feel like isn't often talked about that much just in terms of how many more people have gotten into cycling because I think that alone really brings into perspective how you know why we're sort of in the situation that we're in right now um but I'm wondering if if you might be able to peer into your crystal ball for for a minute I mean you were saying that um SRAM has has been pretty fortunate in the sense that you had already been planning for a little bit of extra capacity with some new product launches and some of the timing worked out really well. Um, but do you have any sense as to whether this current increase in participation and demand is something that the industry and the sport of cycling kind of just has to struggle through in a sense somewhat temporarily, or is this more of a long-term lasting change? I mean, this is a question that tons of people are asking, of course. Um, and then I guess, depending on how you view things, how does that affect your approach moving forward? Well, I, you know, I, that, that's, there's a lot in that question. And so, you know, I'll, I'll do my best, but feel free to interrupt me and, and clarify anything too. The, my, my crystal ball, you know, I would say, one, we, we know how much capacity we've added and we know that we're going to continue adding capacity to get, you know, at least for the things that we're, we're involved with, we want supply and demand to be, you know, at par with each other. Um, that's, that's healthy for everybody. And so, you know, we, like I said, we just keep, keep adding that capacity, you know, to, to make that happen. And I, I, think, I think over the next year or so, you know, those two things are going to come together and you'll start being able to go into a bike shop and see, you know, look at your choices and buy what you want. I think that will happen in the next year or so. Um, I also think that, that we've welcomed a lot of new riders and we as an industry, we as, as you know, riders need to welcome them like we've never welcomed them in our lives to keep them riding um, because they're the ones that are going to help us, you know, influence local governments, you know, and national governments to put in more, you know, more dedicated um, trails, more protected bike lanes, you know, things like that. And so I think that is the... That, that opportunity for us is unbelievable. And it, it's really at a rider-to-rider -rider level as much as anything that we, we are just so welcoming to, to anybody who's, who's kind of joined us because of the pandemic. Um, oh, man, I, I could, I, we could go on a massive tangent here. Um, well, sure, why not? I mean, this seems to be sort of along the, along the style of Cycling Tips podcast. Um, given that we do have such an unprecedented surge in new riders. Do you feel like there is something of a potential for a self-fulfilling prophecy, so to speak, in the sense that, you know, I, I asked you if this is something like of a temporary surge or if it's more of a long-lasting, somewhat more permanent change. How much, I, I guess, how much influence does the bicycle, in, bicycle industry have in steering that end point one way or the other? I mean, do, are we actually going to be able to to retain 
hopefully as many of these cyclists as possible. And uh, if that's certainly the goal, then I guess what is SRAM, I guess, since we're talking to you, what is SRAM doing in particular to, to try and make that happen? That's, that's a good one. The, you know, I, I think there, there are several things that, that, that we as an industry can do, that we as individual riders can do, and, and companies like SRAM can do. Um, the, you know, first and foremost, I, I think we, we really just need to make sure that, that you know, when we, when we see a new rider, you know, that we welcome a new rider. Um, and, and just be really welcoming and inviting, even if they, you know, do something wrong, you know, that, or they go against what you're supposed to do, right? Um, just be nice. Um, you know, from, from our standpoint, we've, we've certainly changed, you know, frankly, like we don't do much for, for product promotion marketing right now. We've really shifted. <laughs> you don't you have know, to. <laughs> Right, but we're still spending the money. the The point is, we're we're spending that money on on activities and with ambassadors, with our athletes that that are doing events that are welcoming new riders or building community, you know, so that that we can foster that. The other thing, you know, like here, I would put in a a, a plug for people for bikes. Right, they. They are in the U.S. They are our avenue that we can all get behind, you know, to, to make sure that Washington spends, you know, the infrastructure bill on the right things, you know, to promote cycling, you know, well into the future. And so, you know, again, like if, if you're a rider and you don't know about people for bikes, check out people for bikes. They'll help you help all of us, um, you know, like really change the future for cycling. Cool. I mean, that, that, I, I certainly no argument there. I, 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 I feel like we have been banging that drum in particular for, for quite a while. So hopefully, hopefully someone listens at some point. Um, so another aspect of the whole supply chain, I guess, sort of fiasco, if you want to talk, describe it as that. Um, another aspect of the whole supply chain issue that people have been hearing a lot about is uh, difficulties in shipping, just moving, moving goods and raw materials around. Um, is this something SRAM has had to deal with? Oh, it, it's today, you know, six months ago, raw material was our biggest issue, I would say. Um, today, it's shipping. Um, I, I, I'm almost positive this is going to surprise you that we have more finished goods on our shelves right now than we've ever had in the history of the company during the highest demand ever. And that's because our our customers literally can't get containers to put those finished goods in to ship, you know, ship either completed bikes from Asia to different parts of the world or components to factories in Europe. Um, the 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 supply logistics, you know, whether that's containers, ship, you know, space. Um, intermodal, you know, getting getting things off of trains onto trucks in the U.S. Um, in different parts of Europe, it's it's a really significant issue right now. I mean, I, I have I have visions in my head of, I mean, I'd imagine uh, employee travel has gone down quite a bit, but but I've I've had visions of people being like, okay, you've got platinum status, you can take three bags that are like thirty kilos each. How many derailers can you fit in your luggage? Like. 
Like how, how desperate has it gotten? Like, is it, is it to the point where we're going to see some, you know, big giant red SRAM ocean liner crossing crossing the Pacific to to, to bring containers somewhere? It, it would have been brilliant on our part to buy a ship. 18 <laughs> um, and if if I didn't think airplanes were so hard on the on the planet, it would have been brilliant to buy a couple old 747s. Um, but uh, that that is a, a really it's a really big issue. And it, it is one that, you know, the whole world is competing for those containers. You know, there's not a certain number of containers that are reserved for the bike industry. Um, and so that that is absolutely global competition for those containers in that space on ships. So what do you do about that? You fight for your containers and <laughs> you, you pay more, frankly, is what you do. Um, you know, the, the cost of shipping has, it's unbelievably, you know, it's unbelievable how much it's gone up. Has it gone up enough that that's impacting, I guess, the, the end price, the consumer price, or is it, is it being absorbed at this point? It, it, I, you know, we, we, we don't really control that, you know, the, the end price like, like that, but, Mm. um, we've certainly had, you know, significant cost increases that we've passed on to our customers. And I know that our customers have passed those on, you know, in many markets, there's, there's literally a, a transportation surcharge, you know, on a, on a bike, which I mean, who, who would have guessed that would happen. Um, but it, it's really significant. One question I had was, uh, just about different categories. I mean, trams obviously in a lot of different categories of cycling. Can you speak at all about which categories you've perhaps seen the most growth in? Uh, you don't have to give any specific numbers, but are there, are there any certain categories that stand out above others? No, um, not, not really. Because, you know, essentially bike sales have gone up and, and you, you need all of the components to make a bike. Um, and so it, it's, it's quite even early on. It was weird because not, a, not in many cases, not everything was getting ordered at the same time. And so that was, that was puzzling in the beginning. Um, but it's, you know, now it's, it's working itself out. Um, but it, it's really across the board. I would say there, you know, we, we could tell that there were a lot of bikes that maybe had been in a, in a, in the back of a garage for 10 years. And so it's some of the typical, you know, things that just kind of don't work well after 10 years of, of sitting there, you know, we saw spikes in demand for replacement, old chain, things like that, uh, for sure. Um, but that really seems, you know, that now it's, now it's just normal. You know, that was a year ago. And, and what about disciplines? Like is there, have you say road versus mountain bike? Is there, are there any trends there that you can talk to? You know, I mean, we, we really focus on, I would say, kind of the, you know, the medium priced bike and above. You know, we, we're not, we, we don't compete in the, you know, the kind of the, the more leisure type bikes. We're pretty performance focused and it's pretty even, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if that's because, you know, I want a mountain bike, but there isn't one. So I'll take the road bike. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's happening, um, but it's 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 really it's great demand all the way around. Um, gravel clearly has been 
awesome. I mean, like our Explore group, you know, that that has just been, you know, a lot of people are, are using that. That seems to be really, really going well. Um, and it's fun, right? I mean, so but it, it's really across the board. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of industry people that I've talked to you uh, describe, I guess, the last year or so um, as sort of their their either the worst best year ever or the best worst year ever like one one of the two but then it, the implication is the same it's like sales have been insane but they could have been so much better if they were able to get more stuff and certainly SRAM it sounds like it's is no exception to that um well i i guess at this point um you know we're almost two years into the pandemic at this point and it seems like well like you said i mean even if we retain some reasonable percentage of the new cyclists that have entered entered the sport, then uh, we're certainly looking at quite a lot of unprecedented, well, I think unprecedented growth. Um, so I, certainly it'll be curious to see what happens moving forward. I mean, if you're able to keep up, if you're able to kind of bring things kind of back to back to parity in terms of supply versus demand, I mean, we're certainly not going to complain because we've had a hell of a time getting test bikes, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, but if you're able to do that, you know, more, more power to you, then you know, we, we're all crossing your fingers that, that, that SRAM and I guess everyone else in the, in the industry can kind of bring things back to, I guess, some, some semblance of normal. That would be great to see. Um, well, Ken, you are the CEO of SRAM. So I'd imagine you're quite busy. So I would like to say thank you so much for your time. We've occupied, uh, I guess, in total, almost an hour here. Um, so yeah, th thank you so much for, for for carving the time out of your day to talk about all this stuff. Uh, I, I certainly think it's been pretty insightful and optimistic in some ways and kind of a doubter in some other ways. But yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a glasses full kind of thinker, you know, I think you could argue that uh, maybe is the glass half full or half empty. I think it's half full of water and half full of air, you know, and it's our, <laughs> it's, it's, we, we just have to take advantage of this from the standpoint of the new rider. I think that's really, really important. Um, we all will be able to get whatever we want, you know, soon enough. Um, I'm pretty, you know, for sure there'll be some things that are, are frustrating and, We'd ask everyone, you know, please be patient with us. Please remain excited and please, you know, welcome that new rider um, because they are really going to help us. You know, if anybody's going to help us really change things for the better, I think it's that new population that's coming in with with a lot of excitement. Well, Ken, I'm glad that you got that attitude because I feel like if my glass is full of water, I feel like that water has got a little tinge of benzene to it. So, <laughs> but, so Ken, thanks again. Uh, we'll hope to talk to you again sometime soon and we'll see how everything is caught up. Sounds great. Thank you. Okay, so to recap, basically, there really have been way more new cyclists than I'm guessing many of you expected companies apparently really have been doing their best to keep up and that's unfortunately not going to get a whole lot better anytime soon and we should all be in the shipping business clearly in short buckle up folks because we are not out of this just yet all right well i'm hoping you enjoyed our first nerd alert podcast of the year as always we thank you for listening and please ask that you leave us a review or rating on itunes or better yet tell a friend about nerd alert 
And of course, if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss an upcoming episode. Speaking of which, you will most definitely not want to miss our next show because we'll have the full crew on hand for our annual Cycling Tippies Tech Awards. Thanks again, and we will see you next week.